The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins a national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Oh, Ty was a warrior. The Hawks are going to Omaha. Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. There is no more uncertainty. Now there is nothing but certainty as to, finally, uh, the direction that the basketball program is going to be going in. So that makes this week much different than last week. And isn't that a good thing? We had some fun. In fact, I thought it was a lot of fun to dig into the uh, coaching records and and coaching history of some of the the, the targets uh, that seemingly were right there on the radar for Hunter Juracek and his administration. And I think we spent, what was it, was it Tuesday last week, really getting getting through a little bit on, on Eric Musselman. Because yeah, that, Tuesday. That was the day that the re- the reports were coming out that supposedly he was on campus, uh, that uh, there was a press conference set up at Bud Walton Arena, so it just felt like everybody was, was sort of was starting to center around that. But it took a few days because later on in that afternoon, uh, Eric Musselman's wife, Danielle, tweets that he's still in Reno, that uh, has no plans of going anywhere. And so it took an extra few days, but it did turn out that that was, that was the man. And uh, man, isn't it interesting how the day after Texas Tech wins in the uh, national semifinal uh, and and pretty much at that point, you're figuring, well, you're you're really. It might have been a long shot to attract Chris Beard anyway to Arkansas, uh, and and then it became almost completely unrealistic. So, uh, it's not. You, maybe you get the sense that Arkansas is settling a little bit, but this seems like a great hire when you look at all the reactions from people who oh, know Eric Musselman, who are close to the basketball program, and. You know, even the, the the videos that uh, that have been put out uh, with Coach Musselman now talking with his his uh, his new team, uh, I think I think there's going to be a lot of of positive feedback. If you, I just to put it out there, I think this is a great hire. I think this feels like it's got the chance of being a home run. But how do you know right now? I mean, it's if if it's all about so-called winning the press conference and and winning the social media introduction. I mean, we'll find out about the press conference in three hours. It'll be carried right here on ESPN Arkansas. The social media has been outstanding, you know, in the in the last 24 hours since the announcement came out. Uh, so, how do you know it's going to be a home run hire? Ask us. Ask us in two years, in three years, when you know the direction of this program. But man, you're really going back to the way that coaches had been hired at Arkansas for a long, long time. We'd gotten into this last week, Ty. Remember Eddie Sutton. Uh, built Creighton for a few years before being hired at Arkansas and turning Razorback basketball finally into a you know big statewide thing and, and a national contender uh, and a place that a lot of NBA talent was coming from. Nolan Richardson built his program at Tulsa and then builds Arkansas into a national championship program and they have the great run. Uh, after that, still you know it was the same with with Stan Heath. It was the same with John Pelfrey. Uh, and Mike Anderson was a little bit of the outlier in that he'd built a couple of programs, not just one, and of course it helped build Arkansas, but now you're back to the way that it, that it used to be. And, and, and not to say that it's right one way or the other, but Eric Musselman has done nothing but win at Nevada and turn them into a nationally recognized program, 
uh, three straight championships in the Mountain West Conference, a Sweet 16, top 10 ranking sometimes, and attracting, attracting top talent that might have fallen out of favor at previous programs. It seems like a great hire, but time will tell. I think he'll probably, because he seems like a really energetic guy with a, with, uh, who will be a lot of fun to listen to, don't you think he'll win the press conference later today? Oh, I think he absolutely will. But I will say I'm a little weary and a little uneasy of calling this a great hire because all I've seen on social media as of late is he's the guy, he's a good fit, blah, blah, blah. And that, and that worries me a little bit. Because the majority of the time, and there's uh, Arkansas media do their due diligence, and I'm not trying to steal Rushkin's stick here, but they do their due diligence when it comes to looking up and the background, the information of that. But traditionally, these guys and the the ladies in the media as well don't watch college basketball religiously. They don't consistently watch, and they probably don't. They didn't know who Eric Musselman was until his name was popped up as a possibility as the Arkansas candidate. And that being said, national media are really excited about this hire too, whether it's Aaron Torres, whether it's John Rostein, Jeff Goodman, they all think it's a good hire. And so I think because of the national media, you're never going to see an Arkansas media person come out right off the bat and just blast a hire because he's got to walk in the press conference. He probably wants to kiss a little you-know-what off the bat, whoever it may be. But I just I think that fans, the reception of him because of the national college basketball world specifically major guys who have major impact in this industry, think it's a good hire. I think that's going to bode well for the reception of fans. John put a poll out on Twitter today. What do you think about the Eric Musselman hire? You know what the percentage was of it being good? 96%, which I think if you asked that a couple days ago, it would not have gotten that high because all these national people are talking about how this is such a good hire and how it's going to be a good fit in Fayetteville. I think that's kind of changed the perception a little bit on how you look at this hire overall for the Arkansas Razorbacks basketball program. I, I would have never thought that in previous hirings that you would that you would take a look and say this isn't a good hire because anybody that that, that was on that was on your radar had already built some programs and already came from a lot of wins. That, that's why, unless somebody just looks like a, a complete idiot at the press conference. I just couldn't imagine. I don't remember anybody being critical of the of the John Pelfrey hire because you you looked at hey it looked like he did really well at South Alabama. This guy's got a little bit of a pedigree. How did everybody know? How did anybody know that it was going to be a complete disaster? You could look at the Stan Heath hiring and say, look, that was one year as a head coach. It had a little bit of a fluke to it. Uh, so how do you know that he's going to be able to sustain that success? You know who else has done that? Chris Beard did that. He t- took one year at Little Rock win 30 games, go over to Texas Tech, and look at what they are. They're about to play for the national championship. So, I mean, it can happen. It just didn't happen with Stan Heath. Nobody would have been able to point that and say, look, this isn't going to work. You know, the I don't see how you look at this and say that it's a bad hire. Now, perhaps maybe maybe some of our listeners, you know, still didn't like the idea of Mike Anderson being fired. I still think there are some. That's true. There are a lot of, of, of people arguing that you shouldn't have made that the change in the first place to get rid of Mike Anderson. But now that you've already done that, I mean, you can't live in the past. So this is the direction. And, you know, one thing that I really think stands out here, and this also stands apart from the other coaches that have been a head coach at Arkansas, Eric Musselman comes from a player development perspective and, and from building building talent, I mean, building players around their own talent and teaching them how to work hard 
throughout his time in the CBA, longtime CBA coach. You know, two stops at the NBA, and and it, it's a different style of coaching. But I think that also attracts a certain kind of player, and I think that also says something about the ability to to get the best out of your players. He seems like he would be the kind of coach that can, how to put it, uh, coach coach him up a little bit. Yeah, and with that point, Phil, he almost encourages certain individuals to go after certain individual accolades, and that kind of sounds weird, but he wants the team to be first. But he and assistant coaches will tell players, hey, you're one rebound away from a double-double. Hey, you're one rebound from breaking this record, which is kind of an interesting mindset and an interesting dynamic to have because if you look at most college basketball, college football, and just college coaches in general, they don't ever really touch on individual records or anything of that nature. But he feels like it motivates players an extra oomph if he can say, well, you're you're so and so you're so and so shy from this record. You're close to getting this. He does it differently, and he actually had a conversation with the players last night. He actually touched on the individuality and the team effort of player value. If you make the tournament, that means you're a good team. Your value as an individual player is going to go up. Whether a guy has a chance at the NBA, whether a guy is going to play in Europe, whether he's going to play in the G League. If you don't win, your value is low. And so we got to win. We got to win for each of you individually, and we got to win for each other collectively. I hate when people come out and say they don't care about individual rewards, records, because that's just not true. But the end goal of an athlete, college, professional, what the team should come above first. But it's okay to want individual stuff. You're just team. Your team mindset needs to be above that. And that it looks like based on his at his time in Nevada and what he was speaking to the players last night, he's going to value the team aspect, but he's okay with going after individual accolades. Yeah, but it's all the idea of what what does a, what's more valuable in a player. There are all sorts of skills that you can point to that make up a good player that lead to certain statistics that you want from those positions. But at the end of the day, and this is what he's touching at here, it's a, your value is whether or not we win. That That's what I'm getting from what he's talking about. Yeah. And the more you win... The more you are doing things the right way, the more you are uh, holding yourself more accountable, the more you are being prepared for the upcoming opponent. Uh, and and, and the, those who are making the decisions as to where you go in a draft, uh, how, how much of a chance you get you know, at, at, to play if you're a G League, because a lot of them, they want players who know how to win. And, and, and it seems, it seems that's, that's sort of what, what he's touching at here. Is that we're going to we're going to be winning a lot of games, and that's going to be because of you, and your value is going to be jumping up uh, because of that. And I mean, look, no no season with fewer than twenty four victories at Nevada. I understand that's the Mountain West, but somebody's got to be the best in every league. And if you do it for three straight years, that's a that's a certain level of success. Plus, thirty win seasons don't happen uh, fluky. These that that means you had a great season. Uh, and and there's there's no there's no two ways about that. Now I also think he pro- I have a feeling he holds players highly accountable. Another thing that he touched at on on this video, and this this is where the professional experience comes from from the CBA, from the NBA, is is, is how they're going to prep this team to get ready for an opponent. Coach, and I guess we're all going to have to call him Mus now. I mean, Mus Bus. I'm I'm so used to always referring to somebody by their full name or call him Coach such and such, but Mus 
just seems to be too easy to pass up. But he was pointing to the idea that our, our scouting reports are probably more involved than they've been previously, and you are going to be expected to know these scouting reports, and we're going to get you ready for these opponents. And the one thing that's going to be a little bit of a culture shock to you guys is going to be our terminology uh, and our in-depth scouting reports. Trying to figure out how I want to even start this summer educating you guys on how pro players prepare for a game. And I know Nolan talked about this during the national championship replay that the Arkansas men's basketball program had on their social media accounts. But his mindset was, we're just going to do our mindset, our ideology really well, not necessarily worry about what the other teams do. Now, they obviously looked at film. They looked at certain uh, plays and certain whatever, but that was less of uh, an initiative, that less emphasis on what the other teams is doing. Based on what he said, based on college basketball people you've talked to, they're, they're into film, they're into watching stuff, they're into making sure they're knowing the other opponent very well, and that's going to be kind of different, that mindset. And there's going to be a lot of uh, difference differences between... Eric Musselman and Mike Anderson, similar to Chad Morris and Brett Bielema. That's just how it's going to be because you have two, It what looks to be, now they'll have some similarities, but it looks to be two completely different ideologies on a lot of different areas, and that's going to take some rebuilding time and a process, but he's going to bring that NBA background that you alluded to that they simply haven't had there. You mentioned his time in the NBA, the CBA, He's he knows, and I heard Bobby Hurley talking about this yesterday on the ESPN National Radio. How important getting to the NBA is for players of this generation today. And so when you can incorporate, hey, I was in the NBA, I've coached these players, and so on, then you can say, I know what it takes to get you to the National Basketball Association, and that's why you need to come play for me, and that's not why you need to put it all out for me because of that that framework. That hey, I can get you there. Well, the guy certainly seems to know how to run a practice because these practices apparently are legendary. I, I heard our friend Aaron Torres talking about this, a few others, about how uh, the, the the practices at Nevada were constantly in motion and, and drill after drill after drill uh, with a little bit of film time getting back onto the court and just kind of like a two to two and a half hour session of insanity is the way that Aaron Torres defined it. So uh, it seems that the intensity also, I think, around the program probably picks up a little bit, which is interesting because there was that contrast in, you know, kind of like Mike Anderson's personality, which he, it, I, I always, you know, kind of never believed fans when you'd be worried about whether or not the coach is screaming on the sideline or the, whether he looks intense, uh, because I, I, I I, I think Mike Anderson was, was plenty intense when he needed to be, and I saw some of those moments of practice. He was much more reserved in games. But there, he was also a little bit more of a, of a laid-back kind of a personality at times. We want him to play this up-tempo pace, this fastest 40, that you didn't really ever quite have the depth to pull it off the, fully the way that you wanted to do it. Yeah. It seems, and I don't, I don't know the style that Musk wants to play, but I know he likes to value the ball, they shoot the three, and... And they will get it up and down a little bit. It's positionless basketball where they, a lot of times, like this year, Cody Martin, who was their power forward slash small forward, depending on what position you want to look at, they like to bring him with the ball up. They they have a lot of different ball handlers, and it's positionless basketball where they have a lot of shooting threes, as you mentioned. It's it's going to look 
obviously they're not going to press as much as Mike Anderson and his staff did, but there's going to be some similarities, but there are also going to be some differences. You're going to see a lot more diagram plays. You're going to see a lot more sets that you didn't see under Mike Anderson in this era. See, and 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 Musk comes from not just a coaching background, but it seems he lived side by side with his father's legacy. I mean, literally growing up inside that legacy, yeah. coaching in Cleveland, coaching in San Diego, uh, going around the ABA, the CBA, playing three on three against Phil Jackson and his coaching staff in the CBA. It, 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 this is, you know, it's like he's a gym rat who played for four years at San Diego, five foot seven. So obviously, this is a guy that uh, probably knows how to sweat in the gym and put up a thousand free throws and two hundred other shots and, and get get the most out of what you have. But then there's also the idea that, and this is kind of what I was alluding to with the practice. I, I would assume you know somebody in that situation. Most coaches know a lot of drills. But when you're talking about a life lived around coaches, you know, even as a player, he always had that that he he called his father Bill his best friend. I mean, he always would have that that influence of of coming from a coach, living around that day by day, and seeing how you handle all these certain situations. You almost you have a feeling he he. he I mean, obviously, he started his coaching career as a professional in the pros and CBA, and at that point, you want to be an NBA coach. For a long time, you know, he makes the decision after being let go by uh, Sacramento uh, to take off some time. There was a bad exit from Sacramento and go into co- college coaching. And he rose really quickly. You almost have the sense that this, you know, it all leads to here. Arkansas is the kind of place that you can do. You can make a lot of money. And, you know, he's making obviously a lot more than he did at Nevada. You can. You can win games here. You can turn yourself into a legend and never want to leave. And all roads, this crazy, these crazy roads that these coaches live, that they that, that, that they travel, and the coaches' kids that are going along with them from birth, it almost is like it led Eric Musselman up to this point. So, I don't know. It feels like a good fit. Again, you want it to be a good fit, but we won't know for a couple of years. See, that's what I want to touch on. We've listed a lot of positives up to this point, but we have to touch on the negatives. One, your buddy Wes Moore actually mentioned this. Eight assistant coaches in three years in Nevada. Three or four years in Nevada. He went through eight of them. That's a lot. He's known to be working his guys. And I told you about my my friend who got offered the equipment job at Arkansas and turned it down. He was very happy because when Musselman came in, he said he would have worked him to death. So that's that's one thing you got to point out. Number two, his players, it looked like they quit on the, this year. They were very hyped ending into the season. They had a first-round exit against Florida. That was a very talented team, as I mentioned a week ago, the most experienced team in the country, and they lost to Florida. They underperformed this season. So that's two. You wonder how much the the transfers and how much that he focuses more on that compared to high school recruiting. How does that mesh here, Phil? How does that fit here? Can he live and die in the SEC not as hitting, not hitting the state as much as you would. And I don't think Arkansas fans would care as much if they continue to win and have high success. And he gets them to a Sweet 16, he's going to be on some thick ice for quite some time. And that being said, if they start losing, they don't they don't make it to the tournament maybe the first two years, and he's missing on some of these in-state kids. How much does that have an impact on his coaching here at Arkansas? These are just some things to think about because I know everyone wants to be positive. Hey, new coach, this is great. You're paying him even less than Mike Anderson. You're only paying about $2.5 million. But there are some negatives to what he brings to the table as the head coach. 
No, I, I just haven't heard a lot of people touch on that because I think people were afraid <laughs> early on in this guy's career that, oh, we can't bring up too many negatives because then we're going to be looked at as a bad media member. I'm just, those are out there. It's these, something these, to think these about. Aren't, these aren't necessarily negatives. They're just, I think they're just, they're, they end up being facts, you know, and, 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 and perhaps maybe you can call it a, a potential drawback, but I also get the sense that if, you, if you're hired by Eric Musselman, you kind of know what you're getting into, what the practices are like. Uh, that maybe you're looking at it as a springboard opportunity. I, I don't know. And maybe things, he's not going to change how he is as a coach or how the practices that he runs or how he you know deals with, with, with assistance moving to Arkansas. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, I mean, maybe there's a good thing about some staff turnover every once in a while because we didn't see much of that at you know these last few years at Arkansas, and it seemed that things got a little bit stale. So, But, yeah, I mean, these are all legitimate points. They are. And it's tough, you know, like I said, I mean, when you're making a hire as a as a program like Arkansas, and you're going with somebody that's got a track record, I mean, this isn't the Jerry Stackhouse hire, so which really kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit. Um, you're going off of a track record right now of wins, and it, isn't that really what it comes down to? If Arkansas starts winning 24, 25 games a year, gets to the NCAA tournament three straight seasons, maybe gets into a Sweet 16, um, then uh, then do you really care if if your assistant coaching staff is nope. more of a revolving door? Just win, baby, win. Nick Saban is one of the most egotistical, tyrannical coaches out there. And do you know why Alabama fans don't care? Because he wins, baby. Heck, they call him a saint. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if the, if the assistant if his uh, if his assistants do, but but they get paid while they're there. And hey, that's a whole other thing. What they've already built. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP and at Ty Sports Radio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed. Adams down the wow. sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. Talk with Danny West of 24-7 Sports. Covers Arkansas Razorback football, recruiting, all sorts of stuff. And good to join us here on Halftime. Danny, good to talk to you. How you been? Hey, Phil, I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm a big fan of this show and what you guys are doing here. So always, always happy to, to join you guys. Well, I appreciate that very much. And, you know, it's, it's, it was such a big weekend for Arkansas sports, you know, for the big three yeah. that we pay such close attention to. you got a new basketball head coach. Baseball takes two out of three from Auburn, and it it really it felt like and and I don't you know maybe it's my perspective because I'm with baseball, but it felt like the spring game kind of slid into the background a little bit, didn't it? That's right. Yeah, it, you know what? Even from a uh, recruiting standpoint, it seemed like the recruiting weekend kind of overshadowed the actual game, which that's kind of where we're at with college football today, Phil. I mean, you've seen it. I think TCU actually canceled their spring game this wow. year. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if ultimately, you know, years from now, we don't even see spring games anymore. You start to see the attendance uh, diminish a little bit around the country. And what do you really gain from going out there and watching those guys do a glorified practice, you know? So, uh, you know, with the risk of injury and, and how much these guys are exposed to, to all this contact nowadays and, and that being such a huge storyline in football across all levels, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that starts uh, going away pretty soon. But you're absolutely right. Big weekend for the baseball team. I was, Phil, i got to be honest, man. I was surprised that they were able to bounce back from that. You know, they dropped game one 
I was starting to worry about them a little bit. I mean, you could feel it start to slip. Of course, they came back game two in an incredible finish there, or a really lengthy game, I should say. And then to close it out like that, man, that was it was impressive. I, I get the sense they're starting to get back on track a little bit. I, I do, too. And it, part of it is, that I think, moving Cody Scroggins, at least for last weekend, to the bullpen, settles the bullpen right. down a little bit. If Wicklander can pitch the way he did, or anything close to that on Saturday, if you get another start like that from him, I think it, for me right now it's about settling down pitching for this team, and it looks it. like at least this last weekend it, it got settled a little bit. I, I think you're right with that, but you know what? Another big test this weekend. Uh, of course, as you know, Vanderbilt dropped that series against a really, really good Georgia team. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see uh, see how that unfolds for them in Nashville. All right. Well, let me let me ask. Let's get to the spring game stuff here. So, I mean, it really seems from what I from what I gathered, reading about it, because I didn't watch it, is sure. the defense is ahead of the offense, and the offense still has a ways to go. Again, what can you gather from a glorified practice? But is that something you gathered? Yeah, uh, for the game itself, yes. On that particular day, that's exactly how I would uh, sum it up. However, you've got to realize you didn't have Raheem Boyd. C.J. O'Grady, Mike Wood, and the offensive line has kind of been, you know, interchangeable. They've had a lot of injuries, some sickness that they've dealt with, so they've still got a long way to go in figuring things out. But it would certainly help if they had all hands on deck Saturday. I think they probably could have could have put together a more impressive performance out there. But you know, just from uh, from where I sat, I, I thought the early enrollees, the true freshman guys. Uh, were, were one of the top storylines of the day. When you think about what Trey Knox did, he had a few big plays there, and uh, Shamar Nash came away with a 48-yard reception. Um, Devin Bush, uh, the early enrollee at cornerback, he had a, a pick six against uh, Ben Hicks, I believe. And then Eric Gregory had two sacks. Matteo Soli had a tackle for loss and a sack. Those guys, hey, they, they catch your attention very quickly, man. Some of those guys you take one look at and you, you just get the sense, okay, they are as, as good as advertised. And, you know, they've still got some playmakers on the way too, Phil. I mean, we're walking down on the sideline prior to the red-white game. You see Hudson Henry, Traylon Burke, Colin Clay, all these uh, guys who are still going to come in this summer. That's a really good group so far, man. Talking Arkansas spring game, Danny West, Hog Sports and 24-7 Sports. Danny, let's touch on Trey Knox. I feel like he's been the guy that's gotten the most attention this spring. Takes, takes that yeah. little the little slant. Uh, I, I was surprised he didn't get it picked off, but he takes his slant to the house. It kind of reminded me of the, uh, the touchdown pass Hunter Renfro caught in the national championship game two yeah. years back against Bama where he makes a cutback and then just takes it to the house. It's not sure. often you see a guy that's 6'5 with that type of speed do you think he has the potential, even as a freshman, to be the best wide receiver on this football team? He could. He could, Ty. But I'll tell you what, there's a guy that we just mentioned, Traylon Burks, that, you know, rightfully so. Everybody's talking about Trey Knox right now. Wait till you see this kid from Warren. I'm telling you, if he's fully healthy, coming back, of course, from an ACL tear a year ago, last fall, midway through the season, if Traylon Burks is healthy, he could be the guy. And I'm not just saying that because he's the in-state guy. He's a freak. He really is. Uh, he's something else now. But to your point, Trey Knox has been just outstanding. I think you hit it on the head there. He's surprisingly fluid. For 
for a guy that size. I thought he might be a little bit, uh, you know, lumbering uh, at times, but that hasn't been the case. Uh, he can make one step and, and really get upfield on you. So, hey, rightfully so. As I said, I think he's been the storyline of the spring, and, and he's, he's earned that right. He's been really, really impressive. And it's not just a day here or a day there. It's every time we've been out there uh, invited to practice, he does something that's just out of this world. And so I think you're on to something there. He could, he could make uh, a very strong early impression. You mentioned Traylon Burks. You think about some of the studs that have come out of Warren, especially at the, the skill position, Chris Gregg, uh, Jarius Wright, Greg Childs. And the I saw a statistic, and I can't remember it, but Warren had like a ton of D1 football players come out. Yeah. And it's such a small town. I know you cover recruiting in depth a lot more than Phil and I do. Is it just shocking? Like, what's in the water in Warren, Arkansas, man? How do they <laughs> get like constant athletes year after year? Yeah, I, boy, I wish I had the recipe for it because <laughs> you could spread it a little bit. But, yeah, I'm with you, buddy. It, it has been impressive. I think you've, you've got to give a lot of credence to their head coach, Bo Hembry. He's done a fantastic job of not only uh, you know producing players but really good kids. He's kept them in line and in, in the classroom. He's kept them out of trouble. All of those guys are really good kids, too. So that's part of it. But, um, yeah, I wish I had an answer. But you look at places like Greenwood, Junction City has had quite a few. Those small little towns, uh, a couple of places in East Arkansas. Now, if you could translate that to some of your bigger cities like Little Rock, Fort Smith, uh, even Northwest Arkansas, Arkansas to a certain extent, then you're really rolling. Because, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, it really has been those small uh, very rural uh, towns in, in Arkansas that have produced really the best players. Danny West joining us right now. Uh, I want to get back to the spring game for a minute here because I thought that maybe, you know, the thing that everybody would be paying attention to was was how Ben Hicks throws the ball. And it, Stephen, yeah. it looked like Jones got, got most of the reps, but what did you think from, from the quarterback position, specifically from Ben Hicks? Because we know that, that it will be him and, and Nick Starkle competing for the starting job. Yeah, he was okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't say he was, um, you know, great by any means. I thought he missed some throws. He had some sale on him, but he also had a couple that I thought were probably catchable balls down the field. Davion Warren probably could have came away with one. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm missing another one down the field there, but um, they missed a couple of opportunities that I think probably would have excited people a little bit more, but I thought it was interesting that Nick Starkle was standing down there on the field, and he's kind of the, the guy who's coming in, you know, based on that one performance. And, and granted, Ben Hicks has been pretty solid throughout the spring, but based on that one day where Nick Starkle is standing back there, he's got to be feeling pretty good about this thing. It's not – I don't think it's locked up by any means. We, we shall see. Would you? I mean, it's so early to do it, and I, I know you'll be asked this question again once you're getting into August. But do do you see any clear front runner for the quarterback position? Uh, well, I still think it, it probably you have to lean toward Hicks just based on his, his knowledge of the offense, being here in spring ball. Sure, you would have to give an early slight nod to him, but you know when I take a step back and look at it, Nick Starkle is probably the more talented, you know, pure talent guy, bigger arm. Um, probably a higher ceiling, but you know, then again, it's tough to replace that experience that Ben Hicks has had. A clear front runner, probably Hicks at this point, but again, Nick Starkle hasn't showed up yet. 
So there was a little over 10,000 announced for the spring game on Saturday, and the defense won the ball game. Danny, based on the performance, do you think fans are more excited or less excited about after what they saw on Saturday? Well, i got to be honest. I was surprised by the turnout. I thought it would have been a, a really, really good turnout for a, a team that's uh, slowly rebuilding. A uh, beautiful day for the most part in Fayetteville. It did get a little bit chilly, I guess. It started to sprinkle towards the end of the game. But I was surprised, to be honest with you. Um, you know, for people sitting back watching that game on TV, they're probably uh, either less excited or about the same level of excitement as they had prior to kickoff of that game because, you know, they didn't show a lot. It, it wasn't a game that included just a ton of big plays, which – you know, nowadays in football, that's what excites fans for the most part. So, yeah, probably not. Uh, they're probably not feeling just fantastic, you know, after that game. But then again, they didn't show a lot, and they didn't have all of their best players on the field. So who knows? That, that's why I hate spring games. We can talk about them forever, but what did we really learn? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I mean, we. I know Phil and I have touched on, you're really going to learn about this football team when they go into Oxford week two, the college football that's season. Right. But until then, it's just kind of smoke and mirrors to that point. And kind of to touch on that, Danny, Arkansas fans, I feel like they're indifferent about the season at this point. Yes, you've really improved at the quarterback position. Yes, you've gotten one of the better recruiting classes that you've had, not only in Chad Morris's obviously in his second year, but in the Arkansas football recruiting era. What are you thinking about fans thinking heading into this season? What's it going to take for them to hop on the Chad Morris bandwagon and think that he's going to turn this thing around? Well, I'm not sure there's even a hard number that you can put on it. I'm not even sure they absolutely have to make a bowl game. Now, granted, that's what everybody in Arkansas wants. You want to get to any bowl game. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's Shreveport, Birmingham. doesn't matter in year two. For you know, After coming off a 2-10 and ten season like that, you just want to see a, a dramatic increase of competition. Uh, you can't take a 38-0, to a 52-6, to You can't let games get away from you like that. At least be competitive, be knocking on the door of a bowl game and postseason play, and I think people will be excited. But Arkansas fans are just tired of being embarrassed, you know, and last year was very embarrassing. Yeah, you give give them a pass a little bit because it is year one with such a, a drastic change in philosophy. But for the most part, man, I think you've got to go out, uh, certainly got to win more games. I'm not sure exactly how many, but, just stop embarrassing the state, man. Stop taking it on the chin like that. You can't can't keep doing that. I think that's very well said. Stop embarrassing the state. I agree. That's Again, couldn't have said it any better. Danny, it's a pleasure as always. Thanks so much and looking forward to the next time. I appreciate you guys. Thank you all. Subscribe to Hit That Line on iTunes. You're listening to the Halftime Pod. Swung on up the middle for a base hit. And you can't put this one to bed. The Razorbacks come back and walk on. Don't be surprised if there's not a national media member or two that make their way to Fayetteville, Arkansas for this press conference because this is an impact tire. Now, it's not to the degree that you would have gotten if you would have gotten Chris Beard. I don't know if it's the same degree as you would have brought in Greg Marshall, but it's still an impact tire from the national landscape. And again, that's why I think John came into the production room this morning telling me that his poll was at 96% because these national people who Arkansas fans are looking to is, hey, we don't know much about this guy. Let's see what these guys say. It seems like all of them thinks it's going to be a good hire. That's why I think you're going to get a good reception from the fan base today. 
Not to the degree you got from Mike Anderson because that was just like a coming home party for Arkansas fans. But I think you'll be. I think you'll have a solid turnout today in Bud Walton Arena. So I think that's a good lead into our three up, three down for a Monday. Strike three. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. What does three up and three down mean to you, Airman? End of an inning. Strike three. And my first up is something I alluded to in the first in the first hour, and it's. It's one specific aspect of Eric Musselman's coaching history that I think uh, stands apart from other head coaches at Arkansas and bodes well for his ability to win quicker, uh, quicker, quicker, quickie, whatever, win games, you know, maybe before you expect them to actually start winning. And, and it's this background as a, as a talent developer in minor league basketball, in the CBA. This is somebody that's already worked his way up to the top level of coaching in the NBA. And I know it was just three years, but how many, how many NBA coaches stick around for very long, uh, in, in, in that cutthroat league? But he'd made his, he'd made his name on, on developing players in in the old minor league of basketball and winning games there too, doing both at the same time, um, and and I think that look the, even the players that are coming back. There's look at some of the things that have to be improved upon, uh, the, but there are things to work with with this with this group of players, and we've we've gotten into this quite a bit. There, there's a lot to work with with Reggie Cheney if you can keep him on the court. There's a lot to work with there. Might need to be a little bit stronger, but goodness, he looks like he could be a real power forward. Uh, there's a lot to work with with Desi Sills, uh, with Isaiah Joe, with Jalen Harris, if you can improve that jump shot. Um, and and I don't know. There's something about the where Eric Musselman comes from, from the time spent and life spent around his father doing essentially the same job developing talent in minor league basketball and working up to the NBA. I think that this is the sort of coach that can get the most out of players, really get them to improve over the one or two years they're even there. Now, and I, I know that part of his philosophy of building a team is also through a little bit of that NBA prism of free agency, and I think that's brilliant in today's game of college basketball and really college sports overall. It It shouldn't matter how you build your team as long as you build a winning team, they keep their nose clean, they go to class, and, and uh, well, I mean, essentially, <laughs> you still have to be able to pass open the. You still have to be able to 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 uh, you know to keep your APR where where it needs to be, right? I mean, that was one thing that Mike inherited. You lose some scholarships, and you can't let that happen. So it is a part of it, but it's also it's an understanding of 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 there. There's more than one way to win to build a winning program, and, and I think that this is a guy that. And I also wonder if this is one reason why. A lot of transfers wanted to play for him because they see somebody that knows how to develop talent, that knows how to get somebody that might not have been developing at one program and get him to develop with him. So I think this background will be very good for Arkansas basketball and help them compete really in what is uh, this SEC now oh. with, with what you've got coming in uh, and already here. This is it's an amazing league that that he's coming into, and I, I feel I feel like Arkansas has the right coach to compete with everybody else in the SEC right now. Here's a stat of the day for you, Phil. Eleven of the fourteen SEC head coaches have been to a Sweet Sixteen. Eleven. Wow. 
There's 14 teams, right? Yeah. How about <laughs> Were that? Were we just bragging earlier about how many SEC baseball teams were ranked in the top mm-hmm. 25? It was 11. You got 11 coaches now that have Sweet 16 experience. Yeah, 11. Amazing. And the only ones that I, I believe have haven't. There's obviously Jerry Stackhouse entering his first year as a collegiate head coach. I think Kermit Davis has only been to around a 32 with Middle Tennessee State. I think he's the other one. And I'm blanking on the other one. But those are the only ones, which is just incredible to think about. And then to your point. So Cody and Caleb Martin, when they transferred from NC State, talking about how he can say, we're going to be a great place for transfers. All these different people were selling on Caleb Martin, and he wanted to go with his brother Cody. Caleb was the more talented player. Caleb was the one that was going to get NBA looks. Musselman had a plan for Cody Martin, and that's why he swayed Caleb and Cody to come to Nevada, because no one else focused on Cody, his twin brother. And Cody ended up having a really good couple seasons at Nevada because Eric Musselman had a had sets and and plays for him and stuff for him to succeed on, not just his brother. That's a I mean that's a great point you made because we saw that with those twins, how he was able to pull them in, and they had some solid careers in Nevada. All right, my first and by the way, kudos to grad transfers. Chloe Jackson, who hit the winning basket in the women's championship game yesterday for Baylor. Not only, she, she was on her third program. You know, she started at NC State, then goes to LSU, and and then hits the big shot for Baylor. So again, and that's a school that's tough to get into. That's a that's a program that wins a lot. And I'll get I'll get into some talk about Kim Mulkey in a little bit. My first down, <laughs> early celebrations at Auburn, and I usually wouldn't be, you know, I don't I don't like to 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 you know take glory in others in others failures, um, but. But I saw them. I saw Auburn's baseball team dogpile uh, in front of home plate, um, you know, thinking they'd won the extra inning game on Friday. And then with the review at home plate, and it gets overturned, and you're just like, that was where everything really stopped. And they celebrated a win that they didn't get. Beautiful, beautiful. And then, and I took extra joy in that because there's something about the atmosphere Saturday night in the Auburn stands and in their dugout that just felt it was too much. It was snotty. It was sixth grade like. It was disrespectful. And so I don't know. I felt like they earned they earned that punch in the gut. And then to see Tumor's Corner, which I went to see on when did I go there? I went there. Thursday before the rainout was announced, uh, that um, they they went and they TP'd the the trees right after the foul was called in the corner. Oh, and they thought they'd won a game that they hadn't won, and the TPs all over the trees, and it took them about three minutes to realize that they'd actually lost. <laughs> How quickly can you get toilet paper down from trees? It takes a while. Yeah, it was tough. And you had there's an iconic picture that Bleacher Report put out when Kyle Guy steps to the line. He's like an 81 percent free throw shooter. Bryce Brown and Bryce Bryce Brown in the background is holding up the choke symbol. Oh. And then the next picture that they couple it with is Bryce Brown sitting on the floor with the ball bouncing by him after he just lost. So yeah, that was tough for Auburn fans. Tough, tough Saturday for Auburn fans. Phil, my first up. Sidney Moncrief, we mentioned right before the break, he's in the Hall of Fame, and I was so happy. We had him on last week, last Monday, and he was talking about how there's a lot of great players in the Hall of Fame. Really comes across as a humble guy, but for him to get in the Hall of Fame, I know a lot of Arkansas Razorback fans were happy, Milwaukee Bucks fans were happy, and he was deserving of the Hall of Fame. I know Eddie Sutton was not able to get in this year, and his family's disappointed with a lot of other Razorback, Oklahoma State, and other fans, but good for Sidney Moncrief getting in the Hall of Fame. 
He's the first Razorback basketball player to be inducted. I believe so. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? You got a couple. You got a couple uh, in Canton. Um, I don't think there are any major leaguers uh, from Arkansas that have been enshrined in Cooperstown. Um, but uh, which is kind of surprising, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, remember the pro- the program really didn't get really going until the seventies. There've been some really good players with some great moments. Uh, but you haven't had the maybe the career longevity that you would need, and you know Ben Intendi, he's still at the start of his career. Who knows what's going to happen there? But yeah, no, no Arkansas baseball players enshrined in Cooperstown. I think the two out of football are uh, Dan Hampton and Lance Allworth, and now you got Sidney Moncrief for uh, for basketball. Is Steve Atwater on there too? I'm, well, I don't think he, he, he's he been a finalist a, a couple of times. That's right. I remember we, we were that. talking yeah, about that a couple a months ago, but he hasn't been inducted yet. So right. that's great for Sidney Moncrief. What's your first down? First down, did you read the Pete Thamel Yahoo Sports article kind of scathing the national championship game that we're going to watch tonight? No, but I've heard some. I've heard a lot of talk about it because it's two so-called no, not brand names. It's two defensively oriented teams. And I guess people want, you know, some game that's in the 80s instead of a game that's in the 50s and the 60s. So, But, but he's not the only one who's been kind of trashing this matchup. No, he hasn't. There's other college basketball people that have. And I really genuinely like Pete Thamel for the most part. He was the one that was talking about Arkansas recruiting. He's really good at going on in-depth stuff along with Pat Forty and Dan Wetzel. They have a trio over there at Yahoo Sports that's basically untouchable when it comes to touching on college football, basketball, baseball stories. But he, he's writing this article. Here's my take on it. These two teams that we're going to get to watch tonight, they outworked better basketball teams and arguably better coaches to get to this point. I mean, you think about who like Virginia had to go through and Texas Tech had to go through. Virginia had to be Carson Edwards, who was just on fire this NCAA tournament. It was incredible. He's going to the NBA draft. You also had to beat the Team of Destiny in Auburn and get through some other battles. Texas Tech, you got to beat Cassius Winston, who was playing like the best player in the NCAA tournament. And they had just previously been Duke, so they were on it high as well. And then you also had to beat John Beeline in Michigan. I mean, these are these were not easy roads to the NCAA tournament. I know people wanted to see what Virginia would do against the likes of Tennessee and Purdue beat Tennessee out that controversial call. They beat better teams. They beat better coaches. You can't fault them, even though they play a certain style of play. You can't be mad at that. Now, I get I'd love to see a more of a blue butt in this Final Four. I would love to see Zion Williamson in this National Basketball Association championship. But we complained so much about this being a so-called chalky tournament that it was, you know, that there really weren't any major upsets over the first few rounds and and now you end up with a with a with a championship game of two of I saw this is this is the first time since bird magic that neither of the teams in the national championship game have ever played for the title before yeah i mean think about that we're talking about 40 years there's always been at least one team in that championship game that has played for the title so for so there weren't a lot of upsets in this in this tournament so you know auburn was the supposed outlier texas tech was kind of an outlier too because they'd never really been to that level but these were really great teams this is this is kind of fun to see perhaps the start of great programs that who knows who the next level of blue bloods are going to be and it's so coach based you know and part of it is Coach K is not going to be a Duke for another six, seven years. 
Roy Williams and 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 uh, and Bill Self and and Coach Cal and Cal, Coach Cal's got this lifetime contract. How long is that really going to be? All these blue blood programs, I'd be surprised if they're still at the top of the of the heap in another six seven years. Maybe this is where you get a program that was an also ran that eventually turns into a great program because Chris Beard looks like he's got everything that you need for staying power to keep a program where it is. And and I know this is isn't this the first Final Four for for Tony Bennett at uh, Virginia? Mm-hmm. But that I mean they've got a pretty great track record over these last five six yeah. years. That's a program that can self sustain. So I think this is really cool. So it was a chalky tournament, but you end up with a non chalky championship game anyway. Uh, all right, second up. Um, is it kind of goes to your second up, so we can combine these two. I know uh, you Baylor defeats Notre Dame in a great championship game yesterday. Uh, there was a you know a heartbreaking moment at the end where Arike misses the two free throws with about a second left. She could have tied it. She's an 81 career percent free throw shooter. Uh, but uh, but my my second up is Kim Mulkey. Uh, Kim Mulkey, the longtime head coach at Baylor, uh, now is one of three. Uh, coaches in NCAA women's Division One basketball that's won three championships, and she's actually won six, but three as the head coach at Baylor, two as an assistant. Uh, pardon me, one as an assistant at La Tech, and two as a player at La Tech. So she's won six. But you've got Gina Ariema, eleven titles at UConn, Pat Summit, eight at Tennessee, and then there's Kim Mulkey with three at Baylor. And and uh, just think about what else has happened on that campus. While she's been the head coach since 2000, you had the men's basketball scandal with the murder cover-up with Dave Bliss as the head coach, everything that went down with the sexual assaults at the football program, and really that that entire athletic department was brought to its knees with the exception of women's basketball, which has stayed at an extremely high level. And Kim Mulkey is, is on the short list of one of the greatest basketball coaches, male or female, in the history of the college game. So she's my second up. Uh, second down, Mississippi State right-hand pitcher Peyton Plumley. So Mississippi State took two out of three from Tennessee over the weekend, but the only game they lost, they lost two to one, and it was Plumley that was the pitcher, and he pitched mostly well. He went five and a third innings, gave up just two hits and three walks. But in the fifth inning, he's got a couple of men on base, uh, no out. He, they, uh, Tennessee bunts, and Plumlee picks the ball up, throws to first base for the force out, and Tennessee now has run a second and third. So, so the, the, the Mississippi State first baseman throws the ball back to Plumlee, and, you know, some pitchers will, will throw the ball away because they want a new baseball. You gotta call timeout before you do it. Peyton Plumley did not call timeout. He throws the ball into the dugout, and the umpire says, Whoa, hold on a second. Dead ball. You get two bases when the ball is thrown out of play. Both runners come in and score on this dunderheaded play. They lose two to one on this. I've never heard of something like this before. So I guess I guess the next time Play- Peyton Plumley wants a, and that's just a fun name to say, and I guess I'll say it in a couple of weekends when Arkansas plays Mississippi State, you might want to call timeout next time, Mr. Plumley. Just a word of advice. Yes. I'd agree with you on that. Yeah, I'm going to go in accordance with what you said. Baylor women win the national championship. My dad, obviously an alum there, he was very excited. He only gets hyped about two things in sports, Baylor sports, and USA Soccer. That's, that's it. That's such an interesting combo. I know. It's funny. So, yeah, I'm happy for my dad that his team won the national championship because he follows them pretty closely. 
my second down, Phil, people were angry about the Eric Musselman hire, not for an actual relevant reason or an actual reason that makes sense, but it's because they didn't get Chris Beard. He's not coming here. There was less than a 5% chance that he was going to come here if he had lost on Saturday night. But my goodness, y'all, he's in the national championship. You're not touching him, and you're not going to wait on him until after this game to talk to him. He's not coming from a national championship program at Lubbock. And I know it's weird to say it. He's not leaving Lubbock, Texas for Fayetteville, but that's just true. So if you're going to be mad about Eric Musselman's hype, you can talk about the assistant coaches. You can talk about he's very hard to work for at times. You can talk about, hey, you're not a fan of his recruiting tactics. But you can't be mad solely on the basis that Arkansas didn't get Chris Beard. That's just bad. It's not a good take. And that's my second down. It was a pretty much a back to reality thing, you know. Yeah. Once they, when, once he, once they even got to the final four, he just kind of felt, man, it really would be a long shot. But maybe, maybe if they're not playing for the national title, but it, obviously not going to happen. Uh, third up, Arkansas designated hitter Matt Goodhart. He in the series at Auburn, six base hits in three games, two doubles, came really close to that first homer. Those homers are going to come. I can't wait to watch this kid hit for the next two years because he's going to have to go in the draft next season. Goodhart can really swing the bat. He's got some of the best bat speed on this team, and he leads all SEC players in SEC games with a 462 batting average. That's 18 hits and 39 at bats, and he's got the top on base percentage amongst all players in SEC games. I'm not just talking about on Arkansas's team. I'm talking about all 14 teams in the SEC in league games. So facing the best pitchers that these batters will be facing, Goodhart's the best, at least for now, with a 462 batting average and a 553 on base. And that leads to my third down, which is continuously the SEC West. The SEC West right now, just going by the records, is really having some trouble. Florida got blown out by Ole Miss in three games. They lost all three, 12-3, to 16-4, and 12-10. to 10. So it looks like Ole Miss, with their wake-up against Arkansas last weekend, they carried it into the, this weekend against Florida. Uh, the SEC West has six teams with winning records in conference, and the SEC East has two. That's Georgia and Vanderbilt. Pretty much is coming down to those two teams with Vanderbilt two games in back of the Bulldogs. But the SEC West is a combined 49-34-1. Arkansas, LSU, and Ole Miss tied atop the West at 8-4, and four, half a game in front of A&M. And the SEC East, 34-47-1. So that's right, SEC West, they have won 15 games more than they've lost. SEC East has lost 13 more games than they've won. You got to give it to Texas Tech, and they're going to be my third up. They canceled classes starting at 5 p.m. today, and then all day on Tuesday. None of the academic buildings are going to be open from 6 p.m. tonight. To a recovery period. Oh my goodness! Yeah, can you imagine? I know you saw the videos of the destruction that was going on in Lubbock this weekend after they advanced to the championship. I just thought that was you know routine stuff that went on in Lubbock. It was incredible, man. I'm I'm sitting there watching this and just like, man, I can't even imagine what it would be like if Arkansas won a national championship in football, basketball, or baseball. People would get, be going berserk. I just, I, I wish I could see that scene on Dixon Street. I just don't think I'm ever going to in my lifetime, unfortunately. All right, third down, Phil. Johnny Manziel told Dan Patrick and his Danettes uh, when he went on the show that he wants to be referred as John. Now, he's oh. always going to be Johnny football to me, Phil. All, as you referred to the arena with no teams, that's always going to be all tell arena to me. I'm not going to call him John Menzel. I'm going to call him Johnny Football. 
Like the Halftime Pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.